Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. Jacques, you're o- older on this podcast than you were the last time we recorded. I am older. I feel older. You know, it's been uh, a long year. It's good to be March again. March, you know, March is my birthday, but it, it's been interesting reflecting on, you know, last March. And I'm just, I have had a really nice birthday. I got to get out in the park with, have crawfish. I had pie on pie day, even though that's the day <laughs> before my birthday enjoyed my birthday, which is the Ides of March. And yeah, it's, it's a beautiful day outside. So I, I can't complain, but thank you for noticing and, and for saying that Simone, I hope you've been getting outside too. I mean, this, this weather today is just gorgeous. And you know, this is my favorite time of year in New Orleans. It is. It is. I, I joked earlier that this is the day we would always ask our religion teacher to go outside. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, we've been doing some field trips lately. And so we're excited about that. Um, we're, you know, a couple of folks are feeling comfortable about getting outside and there's certainly a lot to see and check on. And so uh, we have some of those trips planned um, for the end of this week and Saturday. So it's, it's going to be really nice and, and looking forward to that. Well, I hope I can be with you on a boat very soon. It's been way too long, um, but I am happy for you that you're able to get out and see our coast and experience it directly. There's no better way to do that. And, you know, it's been a momentous uh, time since we last checked in. I know we kind of previewed some of the news that would be coming out, but um, yeah, Louisiana's coast has been front and center uh, yet again, with an important milestone on the Mid-Baritaria sediment diversion. So I'm so excited that we're going to have some former guests back on to hear directly from the source on this process, this milestone, how people can get involved and more. So why don't you tell us about who we're talking to today? Yeah, I'm so surprised they were willing to come back on, but I sure am glad that they said they would agree to do it. So we are glad to have uh, Jeff Risco, a senior project manager, and Brad Laborde, both from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the New Orleans office over on Leak Avenue. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. We're going to... um. We're going to start with Jeff. Um, so we last talked to you in the summer of 2020. Quite a bit has happened. Um, we talked a little bit last week. You've been working at home with a little baby. How's how's that been? <laughs> it's, it's been great. I've uh, actually started coming in a little bit more often to the office because she's mastered Dada and banging on doors. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's been good. I actually uh, just got my first COVID shot yesterday. So I'm excited. Good. Got a sore uh, yeah. arm, sore arm. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> sore, but it's not bad. So just for anyone listening, it's it's not bad at all. So anyways, but otherwise it's been really good, you know, and it's busy times at the Corps of Engineers as usual, so... So as usual, Delta Dispatches, I have an uh, offline question for you. Um, one of the shows that we binge watched um, during quarantine was Ted Lasso. Um, and I know you're a big soccer guy and I can't ever get Premier League and all that straight. But did you get to watch that show? So I, I've been told multiple times, I guess I'm going to have to so that I don't get caught like this again. Uh, but you're right. I, I'm definitely a Premier League fan, which is the English Premier League. So if that helps. But that's well, I, I, I at least know that, Jeff. Jeez Louise. <laughs> well, I didn't know. I mean, you just said, I know you can't get them straight. And you said Premier League. So, so you've got to watch it, Jeff. It's so good. Um, we had some friends recommend it to us. And um, and I, we, every night, as soon as the kids were like, okay, let's watch the rest of them. Okay, wait, can we do one more? Can we do one more? So 
I highly recommend it. It's it's pretty funny. So you gotta you gotta watch it. Awesome. I'm, we'll do that, and I'll report back the next time I'm on here. I did <laughs> watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> So I don't know about that. I'll have to look into it. That's that's kind of beyond my uh, knowledge um, of, of, of sports. And you were binge watching but... other things. Is that what you're telling me? Well, you, you know, when you said Babay, I of course immediately went to Schitt's Creek and Mora Rose. But anyway, <laughs> we won't go there now. Um, we'll get back to the the subject at hand, Simone, since you kind of took us for a loop there. So Jeff. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the mid Terry sediment diversion and the draft environmental impact statement that the Corps recently released. But first, I want to remind folks about your role at the Corps. I know you were saying before the show, it entails kind of a whole lot of things. So tell us a little bit about what you do there and, and kind of what your day-to-day entails. Sure. So, I mean, I, I do have the pleasure to serve uh, as the Section 408 coordinator on the, uh, the diversion, which essentially means uh, since the diversion is going to interrupt or go in place of the Mississippi River levee, New Orleans to Venice, non-federal levee, and could possibly impact other federally authorized and constructed things like the Mississippi River Ship Channel. Uh, so there's obviously a permission element that the Corps would have to grant if this were going to be built. So I work on that uh, hand in hand with Brad Laborde, who's obviously the uh, the regulatory manager. That's our other sections that we're responsible for, 10 and 404. So, but beyond that, uh, you know, working on the sediment diversions, and that's Barataria and Breton, because they're they're both in house, and we actively are working both permits with the state. Uh, I, I get to work on the Mississippi River levees uh, on a day-to-day basis. I do new construction like uh, levee lifts. In fact, we're actually constructing a flood wall in our parking lot right now. So that's exciting. Um, you know, we're actually the low spot uh, and then it's good that we're, we're going to bring it back up. It's going to go all the way to design height. And that's that's great news for us and the city of New Orleans. And, you know, I, I heard y'all, you know, obviously the opening comments about COVID, you know, that's probably about the only silver lining for that construction project because it's in our parking lot. Uh, we'd have like 900 armchair engineers told me <laughs> how to better do that. So, That's pretty funny. <laughs> yes. So anyways, it is a silver lining to COVID. It's, I, I hate to take credit for that in any kind of way, but that, that is one good way of looking at it. And then, uh, I also, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Chuck. I was just going to say, yeah. And then we also, I, my group has a lot of the, uh, the outreach and business development that the core does, like smaller programs that we're not really well known for, but are great, like planning assistance to the states, silver jackets, floodplain management services, et cetera. So a lot of stuff uh, to keep us busy on a day-to-day basis in my office. Yeah, I was going to say no pressure there, right? You know, just, uh, just you know, a lot of people looking over your shoulder. Um, but I, I did want to also say, you know, as someone who lives a few blocks from the Mississippi River and, and the levees that kind of protect my community. Thank you for all the work that you all do to keep us safe. I know it's been, um, you know, a lot of years of high rivers and and river floods. So how is the river looking as we head into spring? So this, it's been pretty good. I got to say, you know, we didn't, the last two years, you're absolutely right, Jacques. And I know if you're living close to the river, like, and I, I obviously I quote unquote live on the river because I come to work almost every day now. Uh, and see it. But, you know, this year it didn't come up till, you know, late February, early March, whereas we were in flood 19 and 20 for record amounts of days. I mean, you know, approaching 300 days in flood, which is crazy. You know, that's 11 feet at Carrollton. So I'm really hopeful, you know, that this is going to be a short one. We, we deserve a short one after two brutal years and all the hurricanes and whatnot with a high river. I mean, it's just 
it really has been nonstop, you know, and, and so to have that elongated time where the river was down was great for our construction projects and other people because, you know, recognize whenever the, the river goes up at 11, we start putting restrictions on what you can do within a quarter mile of the levee. So that, that affects a lot of people, you know, and but, but it affects ourselves too. In fact, our construction is kind of shut down on the river right now, except for some limited uh, small installation of sheet pile. They can't go out there and pile drive and, and construct a wall. So we, you know, we're, we're held to the same standards we hold the public to. But again, just to get back to your question, really just hoping that it'll come down, you know, <laughs> I, I wish it came down in April, but that's not typically what happens with the hydrograph. It normally, you know, we keep getting these frontal systems and it, it keeps the water at the, it keeps the river elevated for a while, usually into like May or June around that time. You know, Jeff, it's such a balancing act on on our end to be able to use these moments to teach folks about the power of the river and, and what it means. But it's also um, people can get confused, I guess, between flood flight fighting and, and what we're trying to do, frankly, with projects like the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion, which we want to talk to you more about today. So um, we've had Bren Haas, Alicia Renfro, and some others on Delta Dispatches recently to discuss this project because we've reached such a momentous moment milestone there. But why don't you give us an overview on how the core is involved in this project? Sure. So in this in this uh, arena, I guess you could call it, we're really a regulatory agency. You know, what I've just been discussing, you know, my own personal work on the river, that's our civil works program. And, and so obviously those are things that we undertake at the direction of Congress uh, you know, most times it involves a non-federal sponsor, which CPRA is a lot, which is Bren Haas, a lot of times involves them. But here we're strictly just evaluating uh, the diversions from a, a public interest standpoint. And and obviously part of that, is, as you all have said, it, it is a momentous milestone to, to finally have this draft EIS out. And it, you know, it, it, it discusses the benefits, but it also discusses the impacts of the diversion, you know, large scale, anything that we build, do we do this on the civil work side? Anything, any major action you're going to take, is it, it's, it should have benefits, but it also does have impacts. And that's really what I think Brad and I are here today is just to emphasize, you know, that we've, we've been working this literally for four years and there's tens of thousands of man hours in this document. And, uh, and so we're now disclosing that to the public and we want to hear what the public thinks about our, our homework, so to speak, you know, like, you know, look, we've spent a lot of time and there's good and bad and we want to hear from you, you know, like, is, is this, have we properly disclosed everything in the EIS uh, to your satisfaction and recognizing it's a large document, you know, but I think that we'll probably talk more about that as, as the show goes on. Yeah. Um, so let, let's kind of step back in the process and, and y'all receive those scoping comments. You know, y'all receive quite a few. It, it's like, um, I guess I want to bring to light what the, public maybe doesn't always see about what you guys have been doing from then to now, right? Um, and so I, I, is there any way that you could highlight, surely there's been reports and working groups and, and things like that. Walk us through what happened when you closed those scoping comments to, to today. Yeah, sh- sure. So it's, uh, again, you know, scoping, it, it does seem it was a while ago. I know it was a while ago, <laughs> unfortunately, almost almost four years. But, you know, we got really valuable comment. You're right. It was like upwards of almost a thousand comments. And, and we took all those very seriously. So you'll see those addressed. Uh, they are in an appendices of the EIS. Uh, and, and we'll actually tell you where we addressed it or how we addressed it. It probably will link to a section. Um, but in any case, 
you know, from that point from scoping, we got an idea of, of you know, what the public saw and wanted to know about this project. And then we kind of moved through the phases of the EIS and we kind of gradually built it. And in fact, it's almost linear from chapter one to the end of the end of the EIS. So the chapter one being purpose and need, then you get into alternatives development where we evaluate the alternatives. We look at the existing conditions and then ultimately we look at the impacts. And uh, and so that's really what what is all in the DIS is really the story of what we've been doing for the last four years. So you provided a, a great overview at the CPRA meeting last week. Um, I know folks can can go to coastal.la.gov to actually to see those slides that you were able to do. But um, I thought one of the great things you talked about was the sheer amount of content contained and the information contained in the document. Hit, hit the highlights for us. How many pages? A million. How many appendices? <laughs> a million and a half. <laughs> I, I think about, it's so funny, Jeff. I think about the person who like literally has to type each one of those words. So brag on that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, one, I'll, I'll, I'll brag that I didn't have to do too much. I, we we have a fantastic third-party contractor that, that uh, GEC, and they, they just do absolute phenomenal work, you know, but uh, to give you some numbers, yeah, the uh, the EIS itself, the draft EIS is about 1,600 pages, and uh, the appendices, I, I, I don't even want to venture a guess. Brad might know offhand. Let's, but let's take bets, Brad. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine around 10,000 pages. All the technical reports, obviously CPRA uh, did a lot of the science and modeling, so there's a lot of technical reports from them. There's just so much research, you know, because we're talking about an ecosystem, and so you have to think about every species, every noise, pollution. I mean, it it goes really deep in this document. And so we're obviously pulling information from wherever we can, and then we have to cite it, and then we're providing it as reference material, if not just by reference. And sometimes we provide the entire document in the appendices. So, you know, like I said, I think at the meeting, Simone, is uh, you you really, if if you just want to get a flavor of the document, you read the executive summary. And then, but if you really want to get into it and take your time with it, you can do that. You can go as deep as you want in this. And Really, you can make a career out of reading uh, all the references and the appendices. I mean, it's it's a lot of information, a lot of really good information. Yeah, I've been joking that Simone is currently on Appendix A or something right now. So <laughs> she's she's slowly she slowly makes her way through. But um, but I do have to say, I mean, kind of to your point, and we've touched on this on prior episodes with you know kind of folks from Environmental Law Institute as well as folks from CPRA. But it really speaks to just the the kind of scale of the project in terms of how many factors are in play and to see it all laid out in, in these documents is just so impressive. So huge kudos to you all on that. Um, I wanted to ask about, you know, tips that you may have for the public in reviewing and kind of digesting some of this information. Um, if you had to point them to a place to start, you know, would it be the executive summary, other, other kind of tips you could give folks on how to start digesting some of this information that you've put out there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I certainly would always start with the executive summary. Um, that that is, so whoever did the twenty page shrinking of a sixteen hundred page document is is great because the executive summary is fantastic. I can proudly say I've read the executive summary uh, <laughs> and other <laughs> confidently other, confidently tell you that I've also read the entire navigation appendix and navigation sections in the document thoroughly. So there's some that. Uh, a little more interested in than others. And that's how I think the public should look at the document. What are you most interested in? Are you most interested in commercial fishing? 
are you interested in oysters? I mean, you could literally, since if you're doing it digitally, you can search through the document, you know, by a keyword and go directly to it. Now, are you interested in alternatives? Are you interested in impacts? It's, it kind of is a choose your own adventure, I would say in an EIS, but it's really what you're after. And then, and then getting keywords, but at a, at a basic minimum, yeah, the, the executive summary is where to go. Awesome. So, well, thank you for that. Yeah, go ahead, Simone. No, 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 no. I, I was um, going to get down to the meat of, of how folks can comment. So I think we need to bring Brad Laborde on. Uh, we'll come back to you, Jeff. So, so stick around. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Hello. Um, we can talk about your pelicans offline. Um, <laughs> I know we talked about that a little bit last time, but mm, we ain't got the airtime for that today. So, they, they um, a big lead, so we can we can take a break on uh, on the pelicans for a minute. <laughs> Um, Okay, so let's talk about some regulatory stuff. So that's your your part of the world, right? So um, public meetings, after people read the executive summary, etc., they're going to come online in a couple of weeks, right? That's correct. So to build off of what Jeff was saying, the executive summary is the the guide or the the non-technical aspect of the, the EIS itself. Um, if you are particularly interested in uh, impacts, but you don't want to get deep into chapter four, I would point you to the end of chapter two. There's a table in there that's a comparative summary uh, of the potential impacts for each alternative uh, evaluated in the EIS. So I would just add that to your reading list uh, if you are interested in this project. So to get back to your question, yes. Um, so. We are asking folks to review the EIS um, and potentially participate in our upcoming public meetings, which will be held on April 6th, 7th, and 8th. Um, We spread these meetings out over three days and we use various times. Uh, I just realized I gave you the dates, but not the time. So Tuesday, April 6th, right? Tuesday, April 6th at nine um, would be meeting one. Meeting two would be Wednesday, April 7th at one. And then Thursday, April 8th, uh, at starting at 6 p.m., uh, the meetings will be virtual. They'll extend for three hours. Um, and like I, uh, I was mentioning to you all uh, pre-recording, uh, a little bit of breaking news. We did finalize the meeting platform yesterday inf- afternoon, and we worked out the details this morning. So if your listeners wish to participate, um, they can go to the core mid Barataria webpage they can select the meeting date and time that best suits them. Um, and then after you select the, the date and time, you'll be brought to the go we, uh, GoTo webinar platform. So that's the, the meeting platform that we're using uh, for these three, three meetings. Um, after you register, uh, you'll get an email sent back to you that'll include the link and the login information for the meeting day you selected. So like I said, this is a bit of breaking news. So the registration isn't on our website yet, um, but it will be available by Monday, March 22nd. Okay. Breaking news. Do we have, um, we have a sound effect for that? Dun, dun, dun. No, that's law and order. Um, <laughs> um, but, but really quickly back to, that's an excellent tip, Brad. Thank you for the end of chapter two. Um, I am a fan of downloading the PDF version and control effing to find keywords. And so that's um, actually very helpful to hear that as well. So also want to thank you for choosing different times of the day um, to have those public meetings. We know folks work on different schedules, um, but 
but did you mention they're going to be, would any be recorded or like, will those presentations, those pre-recorded presentations, those will be available like on that same web page after that's the way y'all have done it in the past. Right. So the, the pre-recorded presentations are available on our website now. Uh, so folks can go ahead and, and take a look at those um, at their leisure. They'll also be played to begin the public meetings. Um, so, you know, when, when folks do enter the public meeting, uh, there'll be a brief introduction. We'll move through the pre-recorded presentations by the Corps, uh, the Louisiana TIG, and CPRA, and then we'll start uh, with the remainder of our time. We'll have the, the verbal comment period. So, and can you tell us a little bit about um, access and language access for folks that may not be English speakers or, or not uh you know, that may need translation of, of uh, you know, the meetings or any of these documents? Sure. We're, we're working on getting those pre-recorded um, meeting presentations uh, translated now. Uh, so on the website, it's currently in English, uh, but we're also um, having them translated into Vietnamese, Spanish, and Khmer. Um, apologies if I'm saying that wrong, but it's, it's Cambodian. Um, so, uh, you know, people have that access to that via the website. Also for the meetings, we will have translators on the line. Uh, and I, I think the plan now is to open the meetings with um, the translators for each language to uh, open the meeting to those audiences and uh, let people know uh, where they can find these, the, the pre-recorded translated presentations so they can view those um, while we're running the pre-recorded meetings in English and then they can hop back on for the the oral comment period. That's great, Brad. And I do want to go through a little bit of a checklist here because we really want to provide people with information on how they can give public comments over the comment period. And we'll, of course, link to uh, the site at the core where you all are have information for the public meetings and registering for those meetings, as well as information on where folks can go to give comments. Um, so we'll include that in this episode description. But just to hit on it, um, outside of the public meetings, people can still give comments. So tell us how they can do that. Right. So the, the comment period is open. Uh, it opened on March 5th and it extends to May 4th. Uh, so anytime folks hop on, take a look at the executive summary, the table at the end of chapter two, and then dig in from there. Uh, once they've put their, their comments together, they can provide those to us. We have an electronic portal set up on the core website. It does send you to the National Park Service to enter your information in your comment. If you go there, you are not lost. Uh, that is the right place if you look. Um, I guess on the front end of that comment portal, you can see numerous agencies use that. And that's just to help us um, kind of bank the, the comments. We're, we're expecting, uh, you know, a high volume of responses this time. So um, that system allows us to load comments and do keyword searches and things that um, you've discussed, like you like to search through the EIS. So it's no different with the comments. Uh, you can also submit written comments uh, by traditional mail to the Corps of Engineers here on Leak Avenue, which is also uh, the mailing addresses on our website. And then if you want to submit uh, oral comments, but you don't want to do it in front of an audience, you can call our toll-free number. It's 866-211-9205. And that number uh, will have an opening and it'll, um, you know, ping you to start your comments and you'll have three to four minutes from there 
to provide comments. And then if you get cut off, you can always uh, call back in. I love vintage, vintage landlines. I used to call it old school landlines, but a vintage is so much cooler. So, but it's really important for folks to understand the process um, and that there are many ways. And, and I do think that you guys have gone the needed extra mile. And so, um, so that is greatly appreciated. Thank you for um, increasing access to that. So, so I haven't done it yet, but when you go to the portal and you, you like click send on the comments, like then what happens? Like you just, it goes out in space. Um, So, but you get some kind of recognition or something that, that you guys have received the comments. Yeah, so you'll you'll go to the comment portal. There'll be an open and pa- opening page, um, and over in the corner, there's a comment now button, which you would select. It'll bring you to the next page where you enter in your contact information, um, and the contact information is important because if you provide that to us, we'll be able to add you to our mailing list so that we can keep you up to date uh, on things and and other. Uh, public engagements in the future. So, and then below where you would enter your information, you would have the comment portion where you can type that out. Um, Once you've completed your comment, you hit submit, it'll send you to a next page where it essentially shows you, it'll say, thank you for providing your comments, they've been received, and it'll show you exactly what we see uh, after you hit submit on our end. Awesome. Okay. That's really great. Cause you know, you work really hard on these comments and you send them off and you don't want to get the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the notice that you didn't do that correctly. So just to be really clear, this one national park service portal is the one place to make comments on both the cores DEIS and the TIGS restoration plan. And that's the overall document from the trustee implementation group. That's correct. Right. I feel like we're building some FAQs here. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I do want to ask, you know, we, we we touched on scoping and kind of that process earlier in the episode as well as in prior episodes. And, you know, of course, we want to emphasize the ways people can give comments over this comment period. Um, and we'll include that information, as I said, in this uh, episode description. But tell us a little bit about what happens to these comments. So after the comment period closes, what what are what are you all doing with the comments people submit? And then what happens is in terms of the next stage of the process towards getting to a, a final draft or a final environmental impact statement? Sure. Uh, once we do receive everyone's comments um, post May 4th, we will start to evaluate those and um, make responses to those comments. So Uh, There will be official responses to those comments, as well as um, us going back through the draft EIS to see if there's anything that needs to be tweaked. Um, And if so, um, you know, any any updates that we need to do will be represented in the final EIS, um, which is anticipated to be uh, available in April of 2022. So we have about a year here to get everyone's comments and then um, adequately respond. So that's interesting. So they'll get official responses individually? It wouldn't be individual. It would be part of the document. I'm like, that's a lot of work. Okay, yes, that's part (laughs) of the document. (laughs) I was like, that's, oh gosh, who's got to send all those letters? But I think it is important for folks, um, just like those scoping comments um, are addressed in the appendices. I do think it's official, you know, it's important for folks to know that it was considered and and what, um, you know, that 
that response is. So, Brad, you did just mention on um, the comment period ends May 4th. Um, it's a 60 day comment period. You guys automatically extended that for, from the traditional 45. We did. It was an originally, uh, well, it was originally proposed to be a 45-day comment period, but as we worked through the EIS and the drafting, we understood uh, both the length and the technicality involved with the document. So we went ahead and planned for the full 60 days now to allow folks to take a look, dig in, and, and make their comments. Um, and beyond that, if there are any requests, um, People can submit time extension requests, and we will consider those on a case-by-case basis. Okay, so you mentioned April 2022, and then you get a final EIS, and then what happens? A record of decision? Is that how? Remind me of my steps, please. No, that's correct. So after the final EIS, shortly after, we will develop the record of decision or the permit decision, which would determine whether we issue uh, CPRA's project as proposed, uh, deny their project outright, or uh, proffer them a permit for another alternative that we analyzed in the EIS. Okay. Um, So, Jeff, also, can we, if you're awake over there, um, can we talk, you mentioned this at the meeting, CPRA meeting last week, about, you know, the comments themselves. Um, and, and I thought you gave a really strong example of how um, the public comments influence the outcome of a final document. Um, maybe can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, I could just I'll give you the example again, if, if that works. Um, so I, I used to do uh, or I was the project manager on the West Shore Lake Ponch train uh, feasibility study. And so obviously a very similar public engagement and outreach strategy, except that we were technically, you know, if you want to use the same terms as regulatory, the core was the applicant and we were going to the public seeking input on this, you know, multi hundred million dollar project. And the one, the one thing that came back from that was that St. James had effectively been left out of any, anything in the project. Basically all the protection was going to be in Laplace and in, uh, in, in St. Charles, a small part of St. Charles. And so we got overwhelming public comment at the draft stage, right? The draft EIS slash integrated report because it was a decision document. And uh, we actually went back with the St. James Parish planners, the parish president, our own planners, economists, and figured out something that would work. And the ultimate change was we went from having no economically justified plan, i.e. no recommendation to Congress for St. James to having a $40 million plan of a variety of things in St. James. So we went from zero to $40 million worth of improvements in a parish. I mean, and that's just an example of how public comment can shape a a document. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen on Barataria. I'm just saying that the public has a lot of power, whether they know that or not, but I'm telling you, they do. That is such a powerful example and just a really great reminder for folks to use this public comment period to make their voices heard, to be engaged. Um, And, you know, thank you all so much for taking the time to walk us through both the draft environmental impact statement, but also how the public can be engaged in this process. Um, I mean, any final thoughts that you either of you would like to give to our listeners as you kind of make that case for why um, being engaged in this project, one of the largest coastal restoration projects uh, in Louisiana, maybe U.S. history, um, why it's important for them to be engaged or any final thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to 
defer to Brad. We love that term, deferring to regulatory. But uh, <laughs> I, I do want to. I do want to say, you know, the core. I think got in front of of this public comment period. You know, we've talked about the size and the complexity. You know, rightfully, Jock, you just kind of laid out like it is probably one of the biggest restoration efforts in in the United States. Certainly in Louisiana, no doubt. Uh, but we we went ahead and extended the public comment period from 45 days to 60 days. So we didn't wait for people to ask us for more time. We just know that, you know, a 1600 page document probably are necessarily required more time to let people get through it and sink their teeth into it. Regulatory. <laughs> you want to find a word, Brad? Sure. Uh, just to build off what Jeff said, um, you know, with the public involvement uh, time that we do have with folks, comments do matter. Uh, Jeff gave a great example. So public scoping was us coming to the public and asking, uh, you know, what would you like to see addressed in the EIS? The draft EIS is um, our attempt to address all the comments that we received. So now we're asking folks, you know, essentially, how did we do? Uh, and I I alluded to that in, in the pre-recorded presentation as well. Uh, another thing, again, breaking news, we talked a lot about the the, the digital platform that folks could use to, um, to, to, I guess, involve themselves with the webinar. Um, we do have a phone option for folks. Uh, I just received, so I apologize for not bringing it up sooner, but on our website, it'll have um, a number that you can call in uh, the day of the meetings with an access code uh, for you to, to enter in. Uh, you'll be able to participate by phone. Um, we won't be able, so if you participate by phone, it'll be to listen only. Uh, there's some technical limitations that we have with the platform that doesn't allow us to mute and unmute, unmute folks on the phone. So uh, you won't be able to comment there, but I just want to remind folks that we still have the verbal comment option available to them at that um, 866 number that I provided earlier. Well, thank you both so much for, you know, just taking the time to speak with us. I know you're super busy and have a lot going on. Appreciate coming, you're coming on and, and breaking some news with us and then really, uh, you know, taking the time to lay out this process and how people can get involved. I really want to make sure one last time, where can people go to get information on the draft environmental impact statement for Mid-Barataria, as well as information on the public meetings and, and how to comment? Yeah, I think folks can just use the the core Mid Barataria webpage uh, as their portal to all things Mid Barataria. Uh, we have a link on there that'll send people over to the restoration plan if they'd like. They can also go back and take a look at the scoping report and the scoping comments on there. And we also have the EIS broken up by chapter. Um, after the draft EIS itself, we have each appendix on our website. So there's a load of information on there. Um, I would suggest people just to Google or use a search engine to get there. Uh, if you type in core mid Barataria, it'll be the, the top response. Um, the second response should be a link to the permitting dashboard, which is another component of this project where we have um, the project schedule available to folks on that webpage so they can take a look and see how we move through this process and what we have left and what the timeframes for that might be. Awesome. And we'll be sure to link to that site from our, um, from our episode description and we'll be continuing to put promote it out over the comment period. So folks know where they can go to give comments. 
Yeah, I was going to say if you're super lazy like me, coastal.la.gov slash midbaritarian. <laughs> That's the easiest web address for me to remember. They have both the restoration plan and the DEIS links that, that you can get there as well. So, well, thank you both for being on again. Thank you. Um, I didn't even have to convince Brad Inman to beg you guys to come on. So uh, thank you so much for that. Um, as you know, before you leave, um, we like to lighten things up and learn a little bit more about you guys. So um, I, we, we've um, been... Um, very curious about a couple of things with the weather and, and those kinds of things. We hope that bears and festivals come back. So um, is there a particular um, live performance or jazz fest performance that, that you would love to see when we get those back again? Oh, that is a good question. I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm hoping that French Quarter Fest is going to be in, in October uh, this year. And, uh, that's, I think that's my favorite, a, a Thursday in the French quarter. Uh, don't, don't tell any bosses, but I'd like to take <laughs> off and go, well, and okay. go enjoy. It should be low river, right, Jeff? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny how that doesn't seem to matter, but. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, how about you? Are you a live music guy? Yeah. I, I love French quarter fest as well. Um, you know, seems every time there's a good thing, it, it becomes, super crowded over a couple of years. So I do like some of the smaller festivals too, like for Red Street, even though that one's gotten pretty big too. But um, yeah, just to answer your question on Jazz Fest, it used to be um, Elton John. We got to see uh, nice. him perform here recently. So don't have a good answer as top performer I'd like to see for Jazz Fest, but definitely one that was on the list has been addressed. Um, uh I'll steal a page from Eric Johnson, who says his favorite bird is always the last one he just saw. So that could be your guys' answers to which performance are you looking forward to? Anyone, right? Yeah, <laughs> Anyone. I, I forgot to I forgot to answer that one directly. If it's if it's jazz fest specific, yeah, specifically, uh, I'd have to go with juvenile. Oh, whoa, whoa! That's about as surprising as when Bryn Haas told us that uh, he loved Fancy by Reba McIntyre. Like, talk about what? <laughs> I love I love the thought of of Jeff singing juvenile and Brent singing fancy. So you learn a lot. You never know. You never know where you're going to get with the fun question on Delta Dispatch. Bring them all back and have a hot boys reunion. <laughs> there we go. I, like, I could sit there and listen to 400 degrees all day long. So. <laughs> Well, thank you both again for being on the show. I love the way that we ended. I do want to thank you for the efforts that y'all are being made, uh, that are being made by you guys and, and the core to make this really complex document more accessible to the public. It is such an important project um, that we have for Louisiana's future. So thank you for being a part of that and, and being willing to come on shows just like ours to talk about it a little bit more. Jacques, you want to help us round it out? Yeah. So just for more information, you can always go to our website as well, MississippiRiverDelta.org slash MidBaritaria um, for just additional context on the project. Um, but it is time for our coastal stat of the week. And that is specific to the MidBaritaria sediment diversion, which um, it will have a major beneficial impacts to land building in the Barataria Basin compared to a future without the project. It will build and maintain 17,300 acres of wetlands within 30 years of the project's initial operations, deliver 275 million tons of sediment in Sparitaria Basin, and increase elevation of land near the outfall area by 3.6 feet within 50 years. So 
Um, that's just some of the great information and, and really um, impressive stats that are in the draft environmental impact statement, among many others. So encourage you to go dig in, um, read the executive summary, control F like Simone, if you need to, to find what you're interested <laughs> in. Um, and you've got time to, to go ahead and, and do that to get your public comment in place. Why don't you give us the Coastal Voice of the Week, Simone? Well, I, I would like to reflect on your humble brag about you actually reading the DEIS first. Um, so nice. Thanks for inserting that in there. But um, this week's Coastal Voice of the Week is from Amelia and Gretna, one of the communities that could be protected by um, the Mid-Baritaria Sediment Diversion. I support the ghosts because it supports our economy, communities, and natural resources. Thank you, Amelia, for lending your Coastal Voice and just a reminder that you can add your own at mississippiriverdelta.org slash restore dash the coast. Awesome. The and just, oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and just a reminder, um, our organization, Restore the Mississippi River Delta, is going to be hosting a series of um, community conversations, and they're going to feature representatives from the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, Environmental Law Institute, and the Louisiana TIG. Um, who are going to present on the draft environmental impact statement as well as the um, restoration plan. And this will be an opportunity for you to learn more, to kind of digest these documents, um, hear directly from the sources on them, and then also understand how you can submit your public comments. So these will not be meetings where you're going to be able to submit public comments. You can ask questions, though. You can ask questions and kind of help understand the documents more and kind of have your questions answered, but then they will then be guiding you to then give public comments uh, at a later point. So those uh, community webinars are going to be uh, coming up starting next week and then going into April. We have one on March 22nd between 5 and 6 p.m., one on March 23rd between noon and 1 p.m., and then one on April 20th between noon and 1 p.m. And we'll also post those um, in the episode link so that you can register and attend to, to ask your questions, get information. But again, these are not formal public comment um, meetings. They're just really informational. So anything else you want to add there, Simone? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again so much to Jeff and Brad for being on the show and helping you know, provide such great information and, and also for the great work that they're doing over at the core. Um, very busy, despite all the challenges we're all facing in the world. And so we really appreciate their work and their time. And until next week, we will see y'all later, alligators. Alligators.